welcome back to The Right Turn, your one-stop shop for all things fiction writing. I'm your host, author Jordan M. Griffin, and today we're going back to basics. This will be the first in a series of episodes about parts of speech and their role in craft when we talk about writing. Now, whether you know your stuff and this is a remediation for you, or you've never had anyone talk about the formal uses for parts of speech, I still think there will be something in this series for everyone. We'll talk grammar rules as well as more abstract elements such as whether specificity in writing is a good or a bad thing, why the advice to never use adverbs is dead wrong, and how upping your verb game can change the entire perception of your writing. So I have some background with teaching and I've taught everything from first grade reading and writing to leading workshops for MFA students. And I find when it comes time to talk parts of speech that my favorite place to start is with nouns. Nouns are roughly defined as a person, place, thing, or idea, and they're typically the easiest thing for our brains to grasp and use. We know what a noun is because they're concrete. It's easy to conceptualize a lizard or a rock or even sadness, which is an abstract type of noun. Nouns can be used to great advantage when writing. For one, the subject of any sentence is going to be found within the subject noun, hence its name. We're used to the subject of a sentence going in the front half of what we're saying. Typically, we like that because we get an idea of what's going on before the sentence continues on its merry way. So if you're writing in a way that you want to get information directly to the audience in as easily understandable, concise a manner as you can, all you have to do is write the way that you'd speak. Here's an example. Andrea went to the store. She bought cookies and milk for the birthday party later that day. She also got lipstick, just in case Jenny's cute cousin decided to show up. See how all of the important information goes in the beginning half of those three short sentences? Because of that, you tend to understand them quickly. You don't linger on any one thing. Your brain falls into a pattern and absorbs information in a steady cadence. As a writer, we can disrupt this cadence, however, and we can do so to give more emphasis to a certain piece of information. Shifting your subject noun to the end of a sentence not only builds suspense as the reader waits for the information, right? They have to get all the way to the end of the sentence before they find out what's going on, but it also gives much more weight to the word you've chosen to end with. Sorry if there was a bunch of dog click clacking there, but my dogs are running around. Take the last sentence of the passage I just read. She also got lipstick just in case Jenny's cute cousin decided to show up. As it reads right now, this is a mildly interesting tidbit, but nothing about it makes the reader think that this is a particularly important development. However, imagine if I worded it like so. Also, just in case Jenny's cute cousin decided to show up, she got a tube of lipstick. So despite the fact that I have changed no words in the sentence, only the order of them, has your understanding of the situation changed? The emphasis of the sentence is now on lipstick rather than on the cousin showing up. The reader understands that the focal point is no longer the uncertainty of the event. The focal point of this new sentence is what Andrea is going to do if the guy does show up. Understanding the weight of your nouns will help you build suspense using nothing more than the order of your words. You don't have to resort to any fancy language or anything like that. This is a tool great writers use to make the world feel like it's ending even as two characters do nothing more than sit across the table from each other and talk. Gosh, I felt like the world was ending just sitting across from some people in my life. 
There are nouns that naturally hold more weight than others, and you can use them to great advantage in your writing. The name of an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend perhaps might be really significant for your character, or the word baby when spoken between couples. Lie is a heavy noun, as is love. Don't be shy about naming exactly what it is you need to name in your story to achieve that emotional weight. And similarly, you can hide those words and have your characters refuse to say them in order to build suspense. This brings me to the topic of specificity. When writing, I have found that most of the time it is better to be more specific than less. English is a broad, incredibly verbose language. We have generic nouns such as food, drink, weather, so on. We also have specific nouns, grilled cheese, raspberry cider, hail. Knowing when to use each will help immerse the reader in the world you have so painstakingly created. For example, I love my mom's food. More specifically, I love her potato leek soup. It is my favorite food in the world and she still makes it for me when I'm sick or on special occasions when we're celebrating. Which tells you more about my situation and perhaps a little bit about my background, the word food or the words potato leek soup. Specificity is the key to imagination. It sounds counterintuitive that telling the reader exactly what they should be imagining helps them view a lot more than if you left it entirely up to them. But in telling the reader specifics, you allow their brain to wander to other questions. What was the character's life growing up? Is the character a good cook or are they desperately trying to mix together boxed mac and cheese? You can tell a reader so much just by choosing more specific nouns and that allows your reader to feel like they're reading between the lines. And that's a really exciting place for a reader to be. They want to feel like they are figuring things out. Take these two scenes. In the first, I'll keep my nouns generic and leave it up to the reader to imagine the specifics. In the second, I'll fill in those gaps with my specific nouns. You can decide which version you like best and which you felt more immersed in the scene as a whole. So here's the generic scene. Brayden stared into the cupboard. The shelves were empty except for a few cans and a box that looked like it hadn't been touched in a long time. He yearned for easier days, for the smells of cooking food and the sound of mom in the kitchen calling the boys to set the table. He glanced at Mino, asleep in the corner, and wondered if he even remembered such a time. Okay, not bad, right? It's a scene. We get what's going on. We can understand. But now let's read the same scene, but being much more specific. Brayden stared into the cupboard. The shelves were empty except for cans of green beans and corn and a box of instant rice that looked like it hadn't been touched in years. He yearned for easier days, for the smells of pot roast and the sound of mom humming from the kitchen, the note she'd hit when it was time for the boys to set the table. He glanced at Mino, asleep where he'd wedged himself between two of the dilapidated walls, and wondered if he even remembered such a time. Which one sounded better to you? Which were you able to imagine better made you want to know more about these two mysterious boys and their situation? Now, this is not to say that generic nouns don't have a place in writing. As with all things, they most certainly can be used to great effect if they are used intentionally. A place I like to put generic nouns, especially the words something or someone, is when a character cannot or will not be honest with themselves. Phrases like something beat within her chest or someone had to have been here. Create a cognitive dissonance, especially if the reader absolutely knows what the someone or something is and can see that the character is refusing to admit it to themselves. 
These could be such ideas as romantic feelings the character won't acknowledge, fear of a betrayal they refuse to consider, or simply an outcome they don't want to name as a possibility. Similarly, generic nouns can be used if they are intentionally being used to hide something, and this is my favorite way to use them. The reader will tend to graze over generic nouns and not give them too much attention, so it's a way authors can hide clues in their writing and still have the ending or the reveal feel very satisfactory because the reader has gotten all that information, they just didn't think about it. Imagine, for example, a character is going through their sibling's room. You need them to find something important, but you cannot describe what it is right at that minute for some reason or another. This is when you can resort to generic nouns. They can find a box or they can find a handful of stuff. If you're interested in trying this exercise out for yourself, take a scene you want to write. It can be any scene, though I encourage one on the shorter side, maybe two or three paragraphs. For the first draft, write the scene only allowing yourself to use generic nouns, nothing specific. If the characters are eating a meal, just say they're eating food. If they're watching a show, leave it at that. Write out the scene and see how it sounds. Then when you finish that scene, rewrite those same exact words, but replace all of your generic nouns with specifics. Are they eating ribs or sukiyaki or pork adobo? Are they watching the news or a comedy or an action movie? Once you've done that and you finish the two scenes, look them both over. Which do you like better? Or maybe there's a middle ground where some of the sentences can and should remain in the generic to prevent the reader from being overwhelmed, but some of the other sentences really need those specifics. This is for you to determine as you start to build your own unique style. But this is one of the things I do as I work through second and third drafts. I try to replace any generic nouns that need it with as specific of words as I possibly can. When we're talking nouns, we must, of course, talk about pronouns. Pronouns are any words that take the place of nouns and include such words as we, he, they, you, and I. Yes, I is also a pronoun. It takes the place of your own name. Pronouns are incredibly helpful when writing because they allow writers to change the sound of the sentence. Imagine reading a book where only the characters' names were used over and over and over again. That would get repetitive really quickly. Annie walked down the street. The flowers in Mrs. Johnson's yard were in bloom, and Annie stopped for a moment to look at them. Daffodils, Annie thought. Mom had shown the flower to Annie once at the hardware store, and Annie thought she remembered the shape of the petals. Of course, Annie could always go ask Mrs. Johnson, but Mrs. Johnson was well known to yell at kids before noon. How did that sound? Was it odd the number of times I said the word Annie? This is why we tend to use pronouns in writing. They help change the cadence of the sentence so that it sounds much more smooth when we listen to it. Consider this piece the way I would write it, with pronouns to vary the beats of the sentences. Annie walked down the street. The flowers in Mrs. Johnson's yard were in bloom, and Annie stopped for a moment to look at them. Daffodils, she thought. Mom had shown the flower to her once at the hardware store, and she thought she remembered the shape of the petals. Of course, she could always go ask Miss Johnson, but Mrs. Johnson was well known to yell at kids before noon. How was that one? A little more natural? You'll notice that I used pronouns when the meaning of the sentence was already very clear. If there was some confusion as to who she could refer to, especially because all three people in that little passage are female, I used the name of the character instead. And this is something you can do too. Especially if you have a scene where you're writing two characters who use the same pronouns, 
definitely feel free to rely more heavily on names or epithets. Epithets are little phrases that replace a person's name while also giving a little bit more information about them. For example, in the last sentence, I could write something like this. Of course, she could always go ask Mrs. Johnson, but the old woman was well known to yell at kids before noon. The epithet there would be the phrase old woman. We can't call this a pronoun because it contains more than just a noun, but you can see how it's doing the same job. Now, with epithets, there is one caveat, and that is they can get a little overwhelming if you use them every single sentence. You want to try to use them sparingly. They are very effective when used in small doses, as I said before, especially when they're giving us additional information. In this case, we are getting two things. The first, we are getting something about Mrs. Johnson's age. And the second thing, because of the way it's worded, we're getting something about the way Annie feels about her, right? Old woman used the way it is in that sentence is kind of derogatory. When epithets are not useful is when they either contain information the audience already knows and are therefore just taking up space on the page, or they are strangely worded. It's usually not useful to put a verb in an epithet because it puts too much movement in a very, very small part of the sentence and it's hard for our brains to keep up. For an example, an epithet that would not be useful would go as follows. Of course, she could always go ask Mrs. Johnson, but the angry woman was well known to yell at kids before noon. Here, angry isn't a particularly useful word because it is immediately followed up with the information that she yells at children in the mornings. We only need one or the other, either the angry or the yelling. Given the choice, I would keep the yelling in because it is much more specific. It tells us the kind of angry, which in turn gives us a much more complete view of the character. As stated before, I don't recommend putting verbs in epithets either. Phrases like the blushing man or the jumping girl don't really work as epithets because our brains try to process the verb as a noun in conjunction with the rest of the sentence and everything else that's going on and it often ends up sounding really weird. This has become a really big trend I've seen with writers recently, especially ones that grew up on the internet and maybe read a lot of fan fiction where it's very popular. And it's hard to break that habit, but I would encourage you to try or at least to use less of them because when you use those epithets over and over and over again, it becomes really redundant for the reader. Sticking to names or pronouns is usually the better way to go unless you have something very specific that you want to say, if only so you can bring attention to the other more interesting parts of your sentence. The last point I'll talk about today in regards to nouns is the idea of diction. Characters speak in certain ways, and the words they use tell us a lot about them. I, for example, grew up on the west coast of the United States, so I say soda if I want a Coke or a Sprite or something else. My friend, who grew up in the Midwest, often uses the word pop. Similarly, when I'm addressing a group of my friends, I will use the term you guys, as in, you guys are great, thank you so much. However, because my grandparents grew up in the South, Every once in a while, the word y'all comes out of my mouth unironically. I've actually had people ask if I'm from the South and had to explain that, no, not me, only my grandparents, but I picked up a few of those phrases. The nouns your characters resort to will similarly tell the reader a lot about their upbringing. Even nouns that we use as curses say a lot. Is this character a Jesus Christ kind of a person, or are they a Christ Almighty kind of a person? 
If you are writing in a secondary world, don't think that this doesn't apply either. Picking words and phrases for your characters to use in stressful situations will go a long way toward making your world building come alive for your reader. Consider Lee Bardugo's Grishaverse, where the characters often utter the word saints to themselves when something goes wrong. Not only does that sound like an incredibly realistic thing to do, but it also tells us something about the very religious nature of the world she's created. Or another example from the book Hawk Song by Amelia Atwater Rhodes, where one society uses the curse skies because they are a race of shape changers who can take avian forms, so the sky is very important to them. Whatever you decide to do with your story, the fact of the matter is that all people curse when their emotions get the better of them, and it's part of the world-building process to decide what your character's go-to is going to be. If you're writing in our world, then of course you can choose from the great many options we have in our language. If you're not, I encourage you to try to think of something important to your characters, something they would invoke to help them if they had nothing else. Forces of nature are a really good way to go. You know, great skies, great seas, something similar or some brand of a religion if you've built one into your world. For example, in Game of Thrones, I think they use by the seven because there are seven gods in the newer religion that a lot of people subscribe to. So this brings us to the end of Parts of Speech Part 1, which is nouns. Uh, we will have episodes on nouns, that's this one, verbs, adjectives, and adverbs is what I have planned so far. So if you have a different part of speech that you are interested in learning about, and especially it's placed in craft and in fiction, please feel free to let me know. I would be super happy to do an episode on one of those. Okay, I hope this episode has been useful to you and thank you for listening. Please feel free to go back, pause, or replay any part you want to hear again. If you really liked the episode, leave a review or share it with someone you think would be interested to learn nouns and all the different ways they can be used in writing. If you're interested in telling us a story about your own writing experience, share your work with us, or you just want to say hi, you can send an email to writeturn at gmail.com. That's W-R-I-T-3, T-U-R-N, at gmail.com. If you'd like to engage with the community in other ways, you're welcome to subscribe to the newsletter at jordanmgriffin.com, which will tell you when new episodes come out. In addition, I have an Instagram, which will also let you know when I upload videos. Link will be in the episode description, as always. Alrighty, I wish you all the best in your own writing. I hope you have a great day, and if it's not a good one, I wish that the next one is better. See you next time!